Welcome to the Confident Couples Podcast, episode 57. Today we're joined on a new Business of Love series from Quarantine, David Friedman, who's a business culture expert, where we dive in and talk about the things that he works on with clients around his fundamentals and behaviors. And we're really excited to do this because David has some amazing research and some insight, and he actually goes against one of the things that we've taught in the past, which is how he doesn't necessarily believe in core values. So we're so excited about this. So let's get to it with David. Uh, Welcome back, listeners to The Confident Couples. Uh, Here's Bud and Sarah. And today we have an extra special guest, David. And how do you say your last name, David? I want to butcher it. Friedman. Friedman. David Friedman. And David is a business culture expert. And we're going to have him on today and talk about the fundamentals and behaviors that he has David and I got to meet each other at a Visage meeting. We had a blast that day and uh, runs a great business. So David, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do for people. Sure. So a quick little background. So I spent 27 years as the CEO of, of all things, an employee benefits consulting company. And we were very successful, but all of the success that we had, but was based on the culture that we had built in our company. We had this incredible culture and it led to all of our success. And I learned a lot as the CEO of that company about how to create really great cultures. And I I sold that company, ended up writing the first of a couple of books about what we had done, which was kind of unusual. And as people read my books, people started asking me to speak to groups like your Vistage group. And as people heard me speak about the things we had done, Many of them said, hey, could I hire you to help me do what you just talked about in in my company? And next thing I knew, I was in career number two, which I'm in now, where I and my company work with businesses all over the country in every industry you can think of, helping them to more intentionally and systematically create amazing cultures in their company. And that's what I I love that. And then we're big intentional and systematic people here, uh, as you know, on the Confident Couples uh, podcast as well. So one of our most popular episodes that we've done for our listeners is our core values episode. And that I don't think from our, I don't want to put words in your mouth from exact word for word, but from what I remember uh, the talk that you gave, core values was something that you felt either left to be desire for building a great culture or something that really didn't fit in your framework of what you thought and what you teach. Yeah. So the way I would frame that but is to say it's, it would be more the first part of your interpretation that it's not that, that it doesn't fit in my framework, rather that my experience is that the way most organizations use the traditional, quote unquote, core values is that they are too abstract and they're too broad to be operationalized in any meaningful kind of way. So it's not that values don't matter. It's simply that the language of values doesn't tend to bring enough clarity. And so the distinction that I make, just to make this clear, is that I talk about a distinction between what I call values and what I call behaviors. And it may just sound to some listeners like semantics, but the reason that it's important, that that this distinction is important, is that values to me are abstract ideas. So examples of values are things like quality integrity, loyalty, transparency, respect. These are concepts, they're ideas. A behavior, in contrast, is an action. It's something that you see people doing. 
So for example, some of the behaviors that I teach in my company are things like honor commitments, be a fanatic about response time, get clear on expectations, do what's best for the customer. These are actions, things that people do. So value is an abstract idea, a behavior is an action. And the reason that that distinction is relevant is that, again, because values, while they sound nice and they're, they are important ideas, they're so broad and nebulous that they mean too many different things to different people. Behaviors, because they're action-oriented, are a lot easier to teach and coach and guide and give people feedback about. So it isn't that I say that values don't matter. It's just that behaviors end up being more useful in terms of operationalizing and being more systematic about your culture. That's really interesting, especially as I think about it from a relationship perspective. And I was thinking back on one of the core values we said we had in our core values episode, which is we focus on communication. And you're right, that is a little bit abstract. What does that really mean as we behave? And what do we do to actually show we focus on communication? So I can definitely see why that would be a problem for a couple if they say they value communication or respect or something, not having actually talked about what that looks like. Does that go along with what you're thinking? Yeah, that's exactly where I'm going, Sarah. So let me just give you a couple of examples to to illustrate what you're saying. So let's start with communication. So yes, we value communication. Like Who doesn't? I mean, that, that would be a pretty obvious thing to value. But okay, what does that mean? There are a number of behaviors, and and by the way, just from a language standpoint, I call behaviors in in an organizational setting, I call them fundamentals because I think they're fundamental to success. So when I use the word fundamental in this conversation, just think behavior. So there are a number of different fundamentals that I teach in most of our clients that are related to communication. So I'll give you three of them that are really important ones. The first one is one that we call listen generously. And it's all about the skills around learning to be a better and more generous listener. And there's so much to teach about that. There's another one that we call speak straight. And speaking straight is about being honest and clear and direct in our communication instead of being you know, too nebulous or instead of avoiding the difficult conversation. I know you and Bud talk a lot about you know, the importance of having those honest conversations. There's another one that I call that's really important that it's actually one that my company's focused on this week. I call it get clear on expectations. And I teach people, and I know you see this in a relationship standpoint, that virtually every misunderstanding you can think of, think of times that you or Bud were angry or frustrated with each other, virtually every misunderstanding you can think of at its core, at its root, is a misunderstanding about expectations. I thought one thing, my wife thought something else. Neither of us was right or wrong. We just had a different set of expectations and that leads to the the misunderstanding or the frustration. So if we teach each other to be clearer about our expectations, instead of using vague words, like, again, here's just a good example. You know, I should be home pretty early tonight. What does that mean? (laughs) My idea of what early means could be very different than yours. And I thought I was home early and you didn't think I was home early because we just used nebulous language. If we were clearer and said, well, what time does that mean? And we each take responsibility for that clarity, we're going to be a lot more effective in that relationship. And so those are just three examples that all fit under the broad category of communication. So if we were to say, well, one of our, as a couple or as a company, either way, 
that one of our values is communication, wonderful, but is that really useful to anybody? If instead we said three of the behaviors that we teach in our family, in our relationship, in our company are we get clear on expectations. We're really rigorous about that. We listen really generously to each other and there's a lot to unpack there. And we have honest, straight, direct conversations with each other. Boy, that'd be a lot more effective. And that's the difference between values and behaviors. Much more effective and much more direct, as you've been talking about. So how much of this work uh, do you bring from your professional side into your own family? Oh, boy. It's a good thing my wife's not on this call. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I would say, so a couple of things I'd say about that. I think when you, and all of our clients see this, and I've seen it myself, having practiced the things that that I write about and teach about for as many years as I have, it's almost impossible for it not to bleed into your personal life. That our clients say to us all the time, that the practice of their fundamentals has completely changed their relationships at home, their relationships everywhere. If you're working on getting clear on expectations or listening generously, or one of my favorites, I call it practice blameless problem solving. If you're working on these various behaviors at work, it just becomes who you are. It's the way you do things. So it certainly has bled into my home life. Having said that, I also want to be crystal clear, just as you guys are, and I love this in your podcast, that, hey, that doesn't mean I'm always perfect. There's lots of times where I avoid a difficult conversation that I know I really ought to have because I'm human. So I I certainly practice these things, but I don't want to make it sound like, oh, because I write about these and teach them that I'm perfect at them. Because you know what? We all fall short, just like you guys talk about. I would tell you, though, that one thing, if I were to do it over again, and the it being, um, I have two children, my kids are, my daughter's going to be 28 next week, actually this weekend. And my son is 30, will be 30 this June. If I were doing it all over, raising our children, knowing what I know now, I would definitely have been much more intentional. I'll use that word because I know it's big for you guys. I would have been much more intentional about drafting a set of family fundamentals. And I've actually done this with a few CEOs but I I would have been much more intentional about drafting a set of family fundamentals and creating a structure to practice and teach those over and over and over again. And I didn't do that. I mean, our kids are doing great. They're wonderful. But I think everyone would have been better served if I were more intentional about it back then. But it was sort of a little later in their development and my own development that I understood these things. Following your own example, what do you wish you would have done or how would you have gone about that process with your family, almost like from a logistical perspective? Would you have sat everyone down and said, this is how we're going to work on this? Do you have any recommendations for how someone could actually do that? Yes. So let me start just to, to put that into some context by saying that the way that we practice these fundamentals, these behaviors is that we, in in a business setting, and then I'll relate this to the family setting. So in a business setting, what we do is we create a set of fundamentals, these behaviors, and we roll it out in really interactive ways. And then we begin to focus on one of these fundamentals each week. And we do a, a series of activities to focus on them. We call them rituals. And I know we'll come back and talk more about rituals a little bit in a little bit later. But we take one every week. And so week number one, everybody in the organization all week long is thinking about working on focusing on the first fundamental. And the week after that, they're on the second and the third and so on. And we keep repeating the cycle. 
So I would take that same concept in a family setting. And I would typically, I would start with my wife and I, I don't know that in, in terms of the, I would start with my wife and I in terms of the development of the identification or articulation of the fundamentals. So my wife and I would sit down and decide, so what is it that we really want our family to be about? What are the, the principles that our relationship should be based on, that our family should be based upon? And we would articulate them. And so just to illustrate, let's assume that there were 10 that we said, these are the 10 fundamentals that we want our family to be about. What we would do is we would take one each week, and this is what I would advise for others, is that we take one each week and we would create some routines or rituals around it. A good example of a ritual is we might do something like every Sunday night, let's make our dinnertime conversation the family fundamental of the week. And we'll just spend you know, a little bit of our, our dinner talking about, so how are we each going to practice this week's fundamental in our activities coming up this week? And the conversations would change over time to stay age appropriate. At one age, it's, you know, it might be, how is my daughter doing this in her brownie troop or my son on the middle school <laughs> track team? And at another age, it's, you know, and, and I'm talking about how I'm doing it, my activities and my wife and hers. And, and granted that, you know, there'd be a period there when the kids are teenagers that they'd roll their eyes and think this is the stupidest thing in the world, but we would keep doing it. But if we were to do that, you know. <laughs> Week after week for all those years, it would be almost impossible for our children not to have internalized the things that we think are most important. And chances are they'd be doing that for their children someday as well. And I think that's just a really valuable thing to do. That I, That's what I would have done had I known all that when I was younger. I think it'd be very powerful. And I've, I've helped a number of CEOs to do that. It's a very powerful thing. Yeah, awesome. it sounds like an amazing thing to talk about as a family. And I love real concrete examples. So I don't know if off the top of your head, you've got any examples of some family fundamentals you've helped others define. Oh, yes, I do. So as we speak, I'm just going to pull out a good one. So but before we while I'm looking for that on my computer, I'll mention that a way of kind of framing this in a family setting is that I've often said that if you look at I'm going to call parenting styles. And this is way oversimplified, but I still think there's a lot of truth to it. That if you look at various parenting styles, I think you could divide the world into three major categories of parenting styles. I think on one level, there are parents, and I, this sounds so terrible for me to say this, but there are parents whose like parenting license should be revoked because I don't know how they got <laughs> to be parents because I don't know what the heck they're doing or not doing. And then there's this middle group that I would count myself in and most of the people I know. And I would describe the middle group as people for whom they try to set a good example because they know we know that our children are watching us. And so we try to set a good example of the things we want to, to model the things we want our children to learn. And we also try to use life experiences to teach life lessons. So your child, you know, struggles in class or fails a test and you use that for as a lifetime lesson, or you, your child uh, doesn't make the all-star team on the baseball in little league and you use that as a life lesson, or they have a fight with a friend or whatever, and you use it as life lessons. And that's good stuff to do. And most of us do that. I think a whole nother level, and I know it's what, it's what you guys talk about it, you know, in your whole podcast about being intentional. Another level would be to say, not, do we not just use those, those situations that coincidentally arise but we're more intentional about identifying and articulating the things we want our family to be about 
and have a structured, systematic way to teach and practice those over and over and over again, that's a whole different level of intentionality. And I think that, that what we did and what most people I know do is not bad. But boy, I wish I was that much more intentional. I think it'd be so much more powerful. Yeah, and that's really the difference. And I know it's, it's what you guys talk about you know, in your whole podcast. As we've been doing this, I just pulled up a list of, here's one particular family's fundamentals that I created for them. And I created this by having dinner with this couple, listening to them, and just extracting out of them the things that were important. These are theirs. I just It was just my job to help articulate them. So there's actually 13 of them. I'll just read them real quickly for you. So the first one is fill each other's bucket regularly. The second is take responsibility. You can do and be anything. What you make of your life is up to you. The third one is your attitude is always a choice. Choose wisely. The fourth is be yourself, not someone else's expectation of you. The fifth one is go the extra mile, make it your best. The sixth is get uncomfortable. That's how we learn. The seventh is learn from your experiences. There's no such thing as failure. The eighth one is kindness is contagious. Go out of your way to help others. Number nine is honor your commitments. Do what you say you're going to do. Number 10 is be flexible. Things don't always go as planned. Roll with it. Number 11 is be thankful. There are always those with more and those with less. Appreciate what we have. Number 12 is be a good listener. Learning to understand others starts with listening. And number 13, the last of them is laugh every day. Don't take yourself too seriously. And so that's what we crafted. I think that's a great set of family fundamentals. Those are a great set for sure. Thank you for sharing those. We can't, that's, that's really awesome to see some direct, you know, input and, and see what you've actually helped people put together. So I think one thing that we don't want to forget about or don't want to, don't want us to miss either is that, you know, a lot of people may go about creating these. And then what happens with values or with fundamentals or behaviors is then they can sometimes go on a shelf and I just want to make, and they get dusty. I just want to make sure we talk about how you engage. And we talked a little bit, but just how important is ritualizing these? Is that a yeah. big step? Is that a small step? What like writing them down seems to me, I think writing them down seems like actually the least or less important part of the puzzle, which the more important part to me is actually ritualizing them and making sure you're revisiting them time and time again. Yeah, I would totally agree with you, bud, that, that ritualizing is everything. Otherwise, it doesn't last. So let me just define what does that word mean and how is that used in this context? So a ritual to me, the way I use that word, is a routine, a behavior, a habit. It's something that we just do over and over and over again. You know, we, some people before a meal, they start meals with a prayer. Or we were kids in school, we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance. It's just part of our routine. The reason that that concept is so critical is that most of us, all of us, we're not very good at sticking with things. So to your point, we come up with great ideas, and then they end up sitting on the shelf where we start the diet and exercise program that that doesn't last very long. When something becomes a habit or a ritual, it's just part of the routine, it's no longer difficult to do. So a good example of that would be many families that start every meal with a prayer of some sort. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it becomes part of the routine. It's just what they do, and it's not difficult for them to remember to do it. It's just how they do things. So the reason then that rituals are so important is they're what enable us to stick with things and not have them just become the flavor of the week or the flavor of the month. So the way we use that concept is 
that it's important to create rituals around the things you want to practice so that they become, they have stick-to-itiveness. So in the example of a family, you know, the, the thing I mentioned earlier of we might create a ritual like every Sunday night, our dinnertime conversation becomes the family fundamental of the week, and we're going to talk about it. Okay, that's just what we do. If we didn't do that and we just wrote them down, to your point, Don, and we, and we could even post them all over the house and say, okay, here's our family fundamentals. Okay, now what? That's nice. They look good on the wall. And maybe once in a while we talk about them. It's not that, it's not that, that we never talk about them. But the likelihood that they're going to become internalized simply because we wrote them or because we put them on the wall isn't very strong. But if we had a structured way that every single week we talk about them and we take one at a time and we, we this week we focus on number one and we do different things and next week we focus on number two and we do different things, but they're all part of a ritual. Now we get, we have lots and lots and lots of chances to talk about it and it sticks because it's just part of our routine. So ritualization and creating rituals around things is really the only way they stick. They don't stick because we're motivated or because we think it's important. They're going to fall by the wayside when we get busy. That's why the rituals are so critical. Yep. And you did a good job when you came and talked to our group about, you know, sharing that there are, you could do emails, you can do, I'm thinking of like email reminder programs that will send out boomerang is one of them I'm thinking of that'll do a recurring email. So you could set this all up on an email or on a calendar where you can revisit this and kind of digitally ritualize it or digitally remind yourself to revisit it over and over again too. So I think people want to think creatively that are listening to this and want to execute on it of use some creativity, use some technology, and you can find good ways to get you started down the path. And then once you kind of sets in, it'll stick. You've talked about that a couple of times that it'll stick and you'll keep wanting to do it. Yeah. It, without the structure of that, and, and you're right, technology gives us lots of ways. There's so many ways to set up reminders for things. You know, you could set up a reminder on your iPhone just to, you know, talk about this week's fundamental. Yeah. And if it, and if you set the reminder to come up, you know, every day at this time or every other day or whatever cycle you want, well, then you're more likely to do it than just trying to remember. So technology does give us a lot of tools to create the structure in which to practice this stuff with greater consistency. Yep. What do you say when somebody's trying to write these out and you come across an idea that may be aspirational? Is that something that should be, you know, tread lightly around aspiration? You know, I remember our core values conversation. I'm pretty challenged with your core values should be stuff that it should be whom you are, not who you aspire to be. That's what a goal is. So in the fundamental, do you ever run into that when you're crafting these with people or with clients where it's, this is looking like an awfully aspirational list or do you welcome that or is that a no-go zone? That's a good question. I'm actually the opposite of you in that I think they're all aspirational. I often say, and this, I think this is true in both a company and a family setting, but I'll use the company as my example, that I describe this as a design function. We are designing the extraordinary company we want to be. Now, the design of what we want to be probably borrows heavily from a lot of things we do today. So there are a lot of things we've been doing probably as a company or perhaps as a family that, that are really good, that, that are foundational, and we should capture that. And there's also things that we want to be better about. So to me, why would I want to just define only who I am today? I'm trying to improve. I'm trying to be better. I want to describe the future state of what that looks like, and it's through practice and working on it that we get there. 
So I'm not worried that if somebody were to say, well, wait a second, you said that and you don't live it very well. Yeah, you're right. That's why I'm working on it. That's the whole point is to practice and work on and coach each other and support each other and help each other to be this way more consistently. So I think it's all aspirational. That's and really by design. I like that view. I like that view too. You've changed my mind. You made me think differently. I can learn. <laughs> um, That's great. So a little, take a little break, David. What before, Sarah, do you have any other questions? No, I think you hit what you want. I've got a couple more that I want to ask about David, before we shift towards kind of the trail end of the conversation, is there anything that uh-huh. you want us to ask about or that you want to get across that we should, that we've missed so far? No, not so far. I, I would distill it down to what I teach people all the time. And it's the same, whether we're talking about a business or a family or an individual is that if you want to get people to behave in some consistent manner, There's lots of pieces to that, but the essence of it is you first have to define with more clarity what exactly is the behavior that we want. And then secondly, you've got to create a structured, systematic way to teach those behaviors and practice them over and over and over and over again. You do those two things and you dramatically improve your probabilities of success. And that's, you know, I never want people to lose the forest for the trees. To me, that's the essence of everything. I love it. That's awesome. So while we're recording this, we're right in the middle of our COVID-19 crisis and much of the U.S. I know you're you're in New Jersey, I believe. uh, You're in shelter in place or stay at home orders. And so are we in Michigan. So with the family, any advice, thoughts, things that, you know, people should be doing or taking advantage of this time around, you know, building the fundamentals, talking about this, you know, coping with these challenges, because we are spending an awful lot of time with our partners and our families that we may not have normally done prior to this. Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts there. So I guess the first thing I'd say is that most of us have more time on our hands, to your point, right now than we usually do for better or worse. And so it is a good time to get to some of those things that we've all put off. So maybe some people have heard a a podcast of yours as an example and thought, you know what, what Bud and Sarah said, that's really good. We should do that someday. And then, you know, well, we're busy. We got a lot going on. Who's got time to do that? Well, we got time right now. So if ever there was a time to sit down and be more thoughtful or more intentional about anything we might want to change about our lives, about our routines... This is a pretty good time because our, our big, the biggest excuse we all use, myself included, is I'm so busy. Who's got time to do that? Well, we got time. So there aren't a lot of excuses. So yeah, this is a good time to sit down and, and take a look at your life and, and get some perspective and think about, well, what's important and how do I want to be? And, and what structure could I create right now when I'm less busy? Because it's easier to create it when I'm less busy, such that when we do resume normal activities and get busier again, I will have already built that routine in. And so it, it's you know established now because it's going to be easier now to create that routine than it is later. So this is a good time to work on all that stuff. That's right. I always, one of the things that my favorite saying is a crisis is a terrible thing to waste and we're definitely in one. And, you know, what do you want to reformat or what do you want to do differently to come out on the other side of this new normal? And how do you take advantage of that opportunity? So 
Well, David, we can't thank you enough for joining us. We know that you are do a great job at developing content and putting it out on the internet. Where can people come find you? Where can people come find that content and kind of tell our listeners, you know, if they want to find some more information about you and about your business and what you're doing, how do they come hunt you down? Yeah, a couple of ways. So my website is highperformingculture.com, not performance, but performing. So highperformingculture.com, there's a lot of information there. My two books are both on Amazon in every form, hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. So on Audible, if, if your listeners like reading, listening to books, and I do the audio on both books. My first book is called Fundamentally Different, and my second book is called Culture by Design. And so both are available in all forms on Amazon. Great. We'll make sure to link those up in the show notes for anyone that just wants to click through. Great. All right. Any final thoughts for us before we leave? I would say my last thought would be very consistent with what Sarah, you and Bud talk about all the time. And I often make the statement that if I look at the difference between what I would call reasonably successful people and amazingly successful people and reasonably successful organizations and amazingly successful organizations, I think the single biggest difference is the word that I like to use, which you use as well. I call it intentionality that you know most people most people who are reasonably successful just get it and just naturally intuitively they do a lot of the right stuff but the really successful ones are much more intentional about everything they do and i know that's the same thing you guys obviously talk about as it relates to relationships that if you weren't intentional you can still have a good relationship but the best ones are going to be ones where people are a lot more intentional Yes, absolutely agree. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing that with us. Yeah, you're the best. Thanks, David. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Confident Couples Podcast. If we've helped your relationship in any way, we'd love to hear about it. That's what keeps us going and keeps us recording these episodes. Let us know by submitting an anonymous contact form at budandsarah.com or send an Instagram message to at budandsarah Or best of all, leave a positive review on your podcast app. We hope to hear from you and we'll talk to you soon.